Today on Locked On Canadians, we are back with Tony Ferrari and we are going to ask about some of the picks that might be available with the Florida picks, the Florida pick that the Habs own. That's all coming up in just one moment. Locked On Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to episode 827 of Locked On Canadians, where we talk about your team every day as part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Laura Saab, also known as The Active Stick, and I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Scott Madla of Habs Eyes on the Prize. And we are joined once again with one of our favorite people in the entire universe, not the hockey universe, just the entire universe. And that is Tony Ferrari of the Hockey News, and we're going to talk prospects. Tony, thank you for joining us for a second straight episode to give our listeners some insight on some of the players that might be available to the Habs in the upcoming draft. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Long time no see. It's good to be (laughs) back for a second episode. (laughs) Happy to be here. Uh, we absolutely love the insight that you bring. And I think because we, we always pick your brain, but what we're going to do is we're going to allow our listeners to do it as well. So over the coming, you know, weeks or months or whatever, it's Tony's busy season. So we're not going to like, you know, impose too much out of his time. But if you can send your questions that you would have for Tony, we can collect them all. And once we have enough, we'll invite him back on the show because Tony is always one of the most popular guests whenever we have him on. Um, and for good reason, he's delightful and he brings so much insight. And today he's going to bring us some insight that might be a little bit frustrating (laughs) Um, because we're going to talk about who the Canadians might draft with that pick that they don't know where it is yet because it's the Florida pick depending on who you ask Uh, one of the players that might be available at that time is Andrew Cristal and there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of love for Cristal so what's the problem here well do you like Mitch Marner we do do if you do then imagine Mitch Marner if he couldn't skate at all because that's what you're getting. That's what you're getting in, in Andrew Cristal. In essence, he's he's an absolute wizard in the offensive zone. He's a really, really talented player. 95 points this year in the WHL speaks for itself, especially as an undersized guy. The WHL at the end of the day is the most rough and tumble, the toughest of the three CHL leagues. And this is a guy that was right near the top of the scoring list for the, all players, not even draft eligible players. So the offense is there. The the, the vi- vision is there. The playmaking, the the absolute ability to rip puck he's got a great shot as well the problem is this kid's skating mechanics and the skating overall is just really tough to watch at times it's one of those players where you you look at him and you go three years ago why didn't someone address this and at least get him up to average because he could be a truly truly special player this is a kid that has all the talent in the world outside of that skating ability so if a team really truly believes they can kind of get that skating ability up to par and, and he's never going to be a great nhl skater but if he, they can get him to be a average NHL skater this is a guy that could absolutely explode offensively especially because he's not a center so you don't have to worry about him playing that defensive game you you kind of have him as a winger and be that that facilitator be that offensive presence and he could absolutely tear up a power play that's kind of going to be the big thing though is that skating is, is going to limit his upside a little bit so you mentioned something about addressing this earlier on. This is a question that we get and we ask a lot of the time is that there's often players that definitely have the hands and don't have the skating. Um, and 
for me, a big question has always been, can you teach skating? And in your experience, like what's really, what's the realistic possibility that they can improve this at his age at this point? I think it's possible. I certainly think skating has come a long way in terms of development of it. I think teams are getting better at putting guys with skating coaches or having skating coaches of their own and working on it in the summers. I think the reality of the situation is that you can bring skating a step or two, but the problem is certain players, and, and I think Andrew Christoph falls into that category, are maybe three steps behind. And I think that's where you, you worry about him. Is even if you work on his skating, you get him, you get him up to, to just below league average, say, that's a realistic projection, I think, if you work on it really, really hard over the next few years. Is his skill and everything going to be able to compensate for that? Is his intelligence going to be able to compensate for that? He understands offensive zone. You have no worries about this kid. I think that's going to be the biggest thing is he has the absolute, some of the best dangles in the entire draft class. He's got that passing ability, he understands how to use his teammates and, and play that give and go game to get himself into the spots. It's about getting up the ice though. And the problem is when you have a player of this caliber offensively and he's the third man in, he, he becomes a lot less valuable when he's the third man in. You need this guy to be the first or second guy in the offensive zone. So with his skating thing, is it just he doesn't have the acceleration? Is it a mechanics thing? that Because we know the Canadians have invested a lot in player development and worked with Adam Nicholas and other uh, coaches on trying to fix some of these things because the Canadians apparently tend to draft a lot of guys who have clunky skating mechanics or don't use their edges well. Is this something that with those pro coaches that the, if the mechanics come along that he can become a more viable non just offensive zone starts only kind of piece down the line for the Canadians if they should choose to go this route? I, I think it can be worked on. I think at the end of the day, this is a guy that has all of the talent in the world. You just need to bring up that one thing. It, when you ask, is it edge work? When you ask, is it the mechanics? When you ask, is it the speed or anything else you want to list? The answer is just yes. It's kind of everything, and that's the problem. This isn't a lot of times you look at a guy who has a little bit subpar skating. Like, I know we're going to talk about Colby Barlow in a little bit. He, he absolutely straight line speed, it's there, and in, in, in you have that ability to get up the ice and everything like that. The issue with his skating is that the agility side to side, east west movement isn't there. You can work on that when you have one area of the skating mechanics or skating and mobility as a whole that you need to work on. It's a lot easier to target that one thing when it's everything that's when it gets to be a little bit more of an issue. And I think that's the problem with Cristal is it's kind of everything. Well, then that, ex- that explains a lot of talking with other people who I will not mention because I did not ask them for permission on that is that they've said NHL scouts, you know, don't seem to like anything. And I went, he had 95 points. Someone's got to like something here. And I had a feeling that there's always something with some players. Once you get outside of that certain range that it's, what is the deficiency? At least with skating, it is something that you can physically target and work on. You can't always improve, you know, what's between the ears, but you can improve a lot of what you're seeing on the ice. Does he still have, even if he's growing, he has that vision and kind of hockey sense to make up for that? Or is that still going to be uh, even more in progress as well? No, I think he has pretty much everything else. And that's, that's the promising thing about a guy like, uh, of a guy like Andrew Gristall is say the Habs draft a guy like Will Smith or Oliver Moore at the fifth overall pick. And then they they have kind of that option of of being a little bit more risky, taking a a chance on a guy like Andrew Christot at at 15, 16, 17, wherever the the Florida pick ends up being. That's going to be the really interesting thing about this Habs draft is that second pick, they can kind of take a risk. If they do decide, 
heck, if they go, decide to go Mitchkov, I know it's been reported that that's not really the direction they want to go with that first pick. Then they go with a safer guy at that second pick, and they they can balance it out in the first round with the, having the two picks of taking a risk with one pick, being a little bit safer with the other, and probably coming out with two pretty good NHLs at the end of the day. I think that's exactly it, is that how – you know, how, how much of a home run or how much of a, of, of a swing for the fences do you want to make? And with which pick do you want to make it? Like, I, I still think that the Canadians will want to go safe, but not as safe as they normally go. Right. Like, so like we talked about how in previous front offices, they always just took the safest option available and the ceiling would have been third line, third pairing, you know, just because you can guarantee somebody's going to make the NHL, you're not necessarily building a good team. So I do hope that they take a risk. And this would be a really interesting one to take because, as you said, like, it's probably a little bit late, right? Like, there's so many areas of his skating that need to be addressed. But, I mean, if they bring him up to even league, league average, like, if that's, like, you know, but that's not that's not really a realistic projection. That would be, like, a miraculous kind of everything worked out the way it should have been. Uh, kind of thing. So I'm very curious to see which direction the Canadians go in. Uh, you brought up Kobe Barlow. So that is the next player that we are going to talk about in just one moment. But first, this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Something exciting is coming to Built.com on April 22nd. I don't have all the details yet, but the excitement is real and it's something that you won't want to miss. If you know how Built works, they have the most incredible protein bars in the world and they do these amazing flavor drops with unreal flavors in limited quantity. So mark your calendars and head to Built.com on Saturday, April 22nd to be one of the first to discover what all the hype is about. I can't wait to see what this new flavor is. Make sure you use promo code LOCKEDON15 and you'll get 15% off your order at built.com. So the next player we wanted to touch on is Kobe Barlow, who you brought up in the first segment a little bit, Uh, maybe a little less work to do on his skating. Um, But tell us a little bit more about why the Canadians might want to go that route with the Florida Panthers pick that they have in that first round. I think the big thing is the fact that the Florida or the, the Kobe Barlow is a goal scorer. This is a guy that's going to put up a lot of goals uh, anywhere he goes. He had 46 this year in the OHL, and, and he probably would have challenged 50 if if he didn't get hurt in the last eight or seven seven or eight games in the OHL after blocking a shot. This is a kid that just has a nose for the net. He's going to go and attack. He's a guy that that plays with a lot of speed in the straight line. He needs some work in terms of working the, uh, the edges, getting east-west a little bit more, and just bring a bit more dynamic element to his game. I, I find he gets tunnel vision a little bit. He sees that net, and that's where he's going, and that's a great element in a goal score. He's a guy that he'll take a shot from 15, 30, 20 feet out and then follow that shot up and try to bang in the rebound as well. He, he's a, a bull in a china shop at times, plays with a little bit of power in his game. But the problem is that he lacks a little bit of dynamism. And I think that's kind of the big thing with him is he's a very physically mature player at the OHL level already. So he's able to bully guys a little bit, bully defenders that are a little bit younger, a little bit smaller, less physically developed. I mean, I, I interviewed him a few weeks back. This guy's got a better beard than I do. He's, he's a guy that's <laughs> so physically mature. You can just see it in him. He looks like a man already. So how much more development is, is going to come there? And that's always my concern with these guys is, yeah, he's able to dominate the OHL at this point. He's the captain of the Owen Sound Attack, which is obviously a big honor as, as a 17-year-old. But is that that playmaking game going to come along? He only had 33 assists this year. A guy that has 46 goals and 33 assists, you always kind of worry about those guys that are, are overloading on the goals, especially at the junior level, because 
that often means that they're just kind of able to overpower guys, get to the net and, and, and beat defenders on the inside. That's kind of where you worry about a guy like Colby Barlow. But with that said, he does have a really good shot. He gets to the net. He's got some really crafty hands in tight. I, I saw him score a goal backwards at one point this year. Like he's got some of that, that flash to his game when he's in tight. You're, you're just not going to see him oftentimes make a big move in the, in the open ice and cut to the middle with some crazy deke or anything like that. He's going to go through a defender before he goes around him. So listening to your description of this and kind of seeing them play a little bit, watching Cedric Dome play for the attack this year, my first thought was, is this Brendan Gallagher, but drafted in the first round? And admittedly, not the worst thing, considering Gallagher's made himself a before his hip blew up in a terrible, terrible, tragic accident, was a bet for 20, 25 goals at the NHL level. Almost consistently, just a shot-generating machine. Does Barlow generate a lot of those shots? Like, he's repeatedly putting up five, six, seven, eight shots a game, and like you said, he's following up his chances. He's getting those second opportunities. Or is that just me thinking with the brain of a Habs fan and kind of drawing that line that might not be there? No, I think that's a pretty good comparable. If, if you're getting Brendan Gallagher at six foot one and, and closer to 200 pounds, I think that's a really great player. And I think that's the fact that's kind of what Colby Barlow is going to be is, is he going to have that dynamic element of being that true top line player? Maybe not, but it's, if, is he going to be a really physical, dirty, get in the corners, get in the front of the net, battle it out, take shots off the, the chest and, and score it off the rebound while going back to the bench holding his chest because he knocked the wind out of himself on the play. Yeah, that's going to be the kind of thing Colby Barlow does. That's the kind of thing we've seen Brennan Gallagher do for years. So I think that's a pretty similar comparison, at least play style-wise. The thing is, Colby Barlow's bigger, so he's got a little bit more upside in that regard. And he's the kind of players that NHL, I guess, pundits like to say, you win Stanley Cups with that guy on your team, right? Like, that's the, that's the kind of guy that, that basically – 200 hockey men go to bat for um, essentially uh, I, th- I think it's really interesting and I think it's 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 really um, it's fun that the Canadians have this option uh, I also if you saw me on the YouTube everybody I wasn't ignoring Tony I was writing down who he had interviewed so that I could then retweet the videos on our Twitter feed for anybody who wanted to see it um, uh, but yeah like I, th- I think that that's really for me, I always look at these players and then I always look at the front office and because it's so new, I always try to gauge like how does this front office think about players and how would they make this decision? And then the other thing too is that I still can't figure out if they're the type of front office that drafts for need even though these players are like three to five years away or if they draft the best player available. So for me, like those are two completely different decisions that they make. Um, And I think it's so interesting. Scott, do you have any more questions about Kobe Barlow before we... Uh, move over, over to we're going to talk about David Reinbucker and we're going to uh, have to do it. <laughs> no, I think I'm good because I've always been curious just looking at you know, looking at Colby Barlow play his style and the goal totals and I just go is this just Brendan Gallagher but slightly taller with a better set of facial hair and maybe I wasn't so far off uh, in that uh, in that thought. And hopefully better hair up here than Brendan Gallagher. <laughs> oh, he certainly, he certainly made me feel insecure about my hair. I'll See, say that. No, here's the thing, though, Tony, though. Like, he's got to go one way or another. He's got to make the decision, and he's not. He's still straddling the fence, and that's the thing. So as a I guy feel who like... watches, yeah, as a guy who watches Austin Matthews hairline just recede further back every year, <laughs> it's uh, it, it, it's a thing that hockey players need to commit to. Either commit 
get the work done, get the hairline fixed up or, or, or just shave it, head, shave it bald and give me another bald guy to root for in the NHL. I'm tired <laughs> of rooting for Sam Lafferty. <laughs> Here's the thing though. We're always rooting for you because as you say on your Twitter bio, everyone's favorite bald draft analyst, you are definitely our favorite draft analyst. Like, I think we can say that. I think we can oh, safely say sweet. that. Um, but in the meantime, we are gonna we're gonna have to do it. We're gonna talk about David Rybucker, and that is coming up in just one moment. But this episode first, but first, this episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's about every it's about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts or accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure that every part you need is going to fit right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know if the part will fit or you're going to get your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you will be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Now, I have to make the joke because I have to. I think the Toronto Maple Leafs might need eBay Motors. They need something. Maybe they, maybe <laughs> they could use David Reinbacher. I think Joseph Wool's in net at the moment. This has been... Uh... <laughs> This has been a night. I wasn't doing the podcast with you guys. I keep peeking over and briefly William Nylander, as he always does, gave me hope. And and then Michael Bunting did some Michael Bunting uh, Bunting stuff. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I caught myself for you guys. So you don't have to beat me out. This is a family there. friendly show, unlike game one between Toronto and uh, Tampa Bay, which and is. Tampa. Toronto is me, taking on a, a bit of a Will Smith vibe. And, and <laughs> oh, my God. We Again, we can't exactly explain thing. to you why we're laughing as hard as we are at this. So I'm going to steer this conversation back on the path that is meant to be on. I will share this information with select listeners in exchange for presents. Yes. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. Uh, all right, we are going to talk about David Reinbacher. Uh, Scott tells me uh, he's got his finger on the pulse that there's plenty of people in the Montreal Canadiens community that are convinced the Canadians are going to take him. I still am not. Scott, why do you think that the Canadians are looking at him at all? I think, and uh, I imagine Tony has probably has the same feeling that I do being more in touch with the scouting community, is that a lot of NHL teams don't want to miss out on a potential Moritz Sider after Moritz Sider became Moritz Sider because everyone thought the Red Wings were nuts for picking this guy who had seemingly a good floor base to build on, but didn't seem to have that same flash and sizzle playing in a lesser league, playing in the German league, whereas Reinbacher's playing in the Swiss league, which is not admittedly easy, but not also one you see a lot of high draft picks coming out of it seems like a safe pick. And my fear is that's what the Canadians are going to do with their first pick. There is they're going to go with what they think the safe projectable floor pick is. And the thing about Reinbacher is that's seemingly what he is, is that he, there's nothing outwardly terrible. It's just that he seems like a safe pick, at least from, the research I've started on and from what I've uh, 
heard talking to other people about this. Yeah, I think that's the thing is everyone wants the next Morris Cider. And at the end of the day, it's the exception, not the rule. That's the big thing, I think, is everyone looks at, at these guys in the draft and they, they're always chasing the next thing for a long time. Even still today, it's who, who's the next Braden point? What's the next small guy that's going to be able to play center at the next level? Now it's the who's the next Moritz Sider. And as a guy who was really high in Moritz Sider in his draft year, I thought he had all the tools to do a lot of the things that he's doing currently in the NHL. David Reinbacher has that to a much lesser extent. I think the Swiss League's worse than the DEL. He's putting up perfectly decent points. He's got 22 points in the 46 games this year. At the end of the day, I think this is a guy that's produced a ton on the power play. He shows good offensive skills when he has time. When he doesn't have time, he's a little bit more of a panic guy. He throws the puck off the glass and stuff. He's a good skater, not a great skater, whereas when you look back at more Sider, he was a great skater. This is a guy that sets up the obvious play more outsider is creating plays. I think the big thing with his, David Reinbacher is you worry that guys are going to chase that, that high of getting the next more outsider. David Reinbacher is a perfectly good pick. If you're drafting him outside the top 16, 17, the problem is this is a guy that's, we look at any central scouting list. He's the top defenseman on the European list. And if you kind of even combine the, the North American and European list, he's the top defenseman overall because the North American defensive class isn't, isn't great at all this year. So it's going to be interesting to see where David Reinbacher goes. He's a very good, very well-rounded defenseman. He plays a good aggressive game rather than comparing him to more at cider. I think he's almost like a B minus David Juracek. He's got that aggression to his game. He can pass the puck. He's certainly not a bad player by any means. There's just a little bit more ways to go in terms of development. than I think a guy like more cider or even a David Juracek had to go. I feel like, we should all caution everybody else about like the next whatever, because at one point I understand wanting the next more insider. I totally absolutely do. But like at one point, every NHL GM was trying to get the next Milan Lucic. Like that was yeah. not, you know, like sometimes it's like one player is the way that he is and that's it. And like, even that player's career doesn't turn out to be the way that you expected it to be. And I like, and it's not to discount what he did in Boston, you know, in that Stanley cup year or, or in, in those in the, in that era, I just I find that like sometimes you you kind of have to slow your roll because everybody would like a more cider, but there might just never be another one like him. Yeah, the problem is like you can't start chasing archetype players. Like if we're doing that, everyone would be like, "Who's the next Connor McDavid? Who's the next Austin Matthews?" Like at the end of the day, as much as we can compare guys and whatnot, they're not the same player. This is why I I personally hate player comparables. Um, I, I don't like doing them because it's like, yeah, he's this part of this player and that part of the other player. And that kind of makes this weird kind of quasi middle player that isn't at all really like either player you compare him to at the end of the day. So I think David Reinbach is a really good defenseman, six two right shot. Everybody needs a right shot defenseman plays a good, aggressive defensive game. He's going to need to work on refining things at the next level just because he needs to keep up. And that's going to be the thing is once you ramp up to the AHL, once you ramp up to the NHL, you're not going to be able to close in on those, those forwards as quickly because they are just a higher level of skill than what you're facing in the Swiss league. Is he going to be a very good defenseman? Yeah. I think he's going to be a top four defenseman. The problem is when you draft a guy in top five, you're probably going to want that guy to be a top pair defenseman. And at the end of the day, this this year's draft, there's going to be a defenseman that's reached on. The last time there wasn't a defenseman drafted in the top five was 2003. And, and you look back at some of those defensemen drafted in the top five, Ryan Murray's, Griffin Reinhardt's, you're going, 
mm, man, when teams reach for that defenseman, it really did not work. And I'd hate for the see Montreal do that this year. Right. It would be a good pick later on. Right. Exactly. That's, that's the whole thing, um, which I think is really interesting. And you mentioned a little bit about the level of competition. So like if you do end up taking this player and let's say not, not with your first pick, but with your second pick in that round, and let's say maybe Florida makes wins another round or so in the, in the, in the playoffs. Um, what do you do? Like, do you bring him over right away and start playing him against AHL competition? Like, I feel like he's definitely got the size. Yeah, that'd be my thing. Immediately, this guy is going to the AHL. If he, if he wants to stay in Europe, fine. Go to the go to the Swedish league. Go to the Finnish league. Get that competition level up. You need to take a step at this point because, like I said, that offensive game, twenty two points in forty six games, isn't anything to necessarily write home about. But it's still something to build on. I think he's shown on the power play when he has space, he can make those passes. He's got a good shot. It's the guy that hammers it at the net. He doesn't. He hasn't scored a lot of goals, but he creates rebounds and stuff like that. So I think there's stuff to build on offensively. It's just it's not quite there, and you need to see him do that against higher competition. I'd be bringing him right over to the AHL. If he doesn't get to the AHL, get him to the Liga, get him to the SHL. You need to see him take a step. Scott, any more questions? I guess my biggest thing is because the other name that we've seen that floats around there is that is Axel Sandin Pelica. And depending on who you ask, it's it seems to be one or the other. And I know a lot of scouts love Pelica's offensive upside, whereas Reinbacher feels like the safe pick. If the Habs go for that high risk, high risk, uh, a Will Smith, uh, Zach Benson in their first pick, I wonder if they're going to go safer on that second option there and go for the Reinbacher over Sandin Pelica because it gives them an, I don't want to say a guarantee, but it gives them a better floor to land on than potentially a higher ceiling to hit with their, with the draft pick, which to me is just go swing hit dingers and go for it. But I'm just curious if that's, you know, the mindset that they have going into this. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting. Like we talked about earlier, you have that ability to kind of balance out, going for a risk and getting a safe pick, whether you want to do that, the risk with the first pick or the second pick, and then get the safe guy with the other pick. That's, that's really what the Habs have to balance here. Standing Pelic is a fantastic player. I love the kid. He's, he's got so much offensive upside. He's got a, a lot of transition game. He plays the game like a modern defenseman. His defense defending is a lot better than a lot of people give it credit for as well. I think he defends with his stick really well, closes the gap in the, the neutral zone. There's a lot to like there. He's never going to be a shutdown guy, but he's certainly going to be a capable two-way defenseman, in my opinion. If you want that that surprise guy, the safe pick that can kind of that has that booming upside and in I know I talked about not wanting to chase that next Moritz Sider. If you want that guy that could be that next surprise pick, I'll say. Dmitry Simashev is the defenseman I'd go after, a Russian kid who's got all the skills. He's an exceptional skater, really good defensively. In my opinion, the best defensive defenseman in this draft class. And he's got all those signs of that offensive game coming through. His team wasn't a really big offensive producer this year. And I think that kind of hindered him. But there were so many times where he'd make a pass at the point and then he'd creep into that slot and he wouldn't get that return pass despite being wide open and stuff like that. So he's a guy to keep an eye on that, that when you look at the central scouting list, you could get him in the second round. Maybe he's that guy at the top of the second round that you take and he absolutely explodes and could be the best defender in this draft class. In my opinion, he's top two or three. Oh, he's a large child. Holy crap. Yeah. He's six foot four already. My God. He skates so beautifully. That's the big thing with him is he has every tool you want in a defenseman. Why isn't he a little bit higher up? Then you look at the production and it's 
basically nothing at the KHL level, but he played at the KHL level pretty much all year this year. Ooh, it's definitely well, going to be I a game that. to watch. Yeah, no, now, now we're going to ask everybody else about that too. <laughs> we're like, that's our little list for now. Um, I think, I think that's it for the, the players that we wanted to talk about that are probably going to be available to the Habs in the first round for either one of their picks. This is a two part episode. So make sure you check out the first episode that we dropped yesterday. Uh, I want to thank Tony Ferrari once again for his time and his insight. And Tony, can you tell our listeners where to find all of your work? Uh, you can find all my work at the Tony Ferrari on Twitter. Everything's at thehockeynews.com. Definitely check out the Hockey News uh, YouTube page where I've got all my game tape with Tony interviews, where it's me interviewing guys like Colby Barlow, Will Smith, Oliver Moore, Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli, even those high-end guys. And, and I talk about them with about just their hockey career. We go over some game tape together, get their take on some of their highlights from the season. And then I ask them goofy stuff like movies, music, what they'd bring to a desert island and all sorts of stuff like that. <laughs> it's actually a really good series. And I think like I've learned a lot also just about how to watch hockey from that series, which is really interesting. It's, it's, it's like I watch it to get some, you know, to get some insight on the draft pick or to, or, or to learn a little or even just to laugh. And then I kind of learn how to like, you know, just how do players watch hockey? Like how do scouts watch hockey? Um, and so we're really grateful for your time. Uh, once again, I know our listeners will want you back. I also know it's your busy season. So we will invite you at some point uh, to answer questions from our listeners. And if you are a listener and you want us to ask Tony a question about any of the players that are uh, either prospects right now or draft eligible prospects right now or in the system, Tony knows literally everything. Uh, you can email us at LockedOnCanadians at gmail.com. You can also tweet us at LO underscore Canadians. You can leave the questions in the YouTube. Just put at the beginning of the of the comment, like if it's a mailback question or a question for Tony or whatever. Um, you can also find our podcast wherever you get your podcasts, as well as on YouTube. You can find me on Twitter at The Active Stick. You'll find Scott at Scott Metla. Uh, tomorrow is our mailbag. So don't forget to tweet us mailback questions or send us mailback questions in any format that you choose. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you tomorrow.